listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Rootbound is brought to you by Rubisco, the only enzyme for photosynthesis. And coming this winter, new frosted Rubisco. Rubisco, it's not cereal. Hi, I'm Steve. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Rootbound. And you know what that sound means. Actually, you don't know what that sound means, uh, but here it is again if you didn't hear it uh, clearly before. That three digital bell sound (laughs) means that we have a kind of a special episode here. And that's because we're only going to be talking about one plant today, not two. And that's because I have a secret list of plants. And these are plants that I have a personal connection with that I've decided if someone else comes to the show and they want to tell me about one of those plants on that list, we get a special episode and we only talk about that plant. So that's what's happening today. We're going to talk with my friend Raluca about corn. This is the corn episode. The corn is as high as an elephant's eye. And it looks like it's climbing clear up to the sky. Hi, Raluca. Hi. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, Do you have a plant to share with me today? Yes, I do. Um, I was thinking of covering corn. Did you say corn? Corn. Okay, so I have to play a sound here. Do you know what that sound means? No. Of course you don't, because I haven't done it before. I have a secret list of plants that I want to talk about, and I have said that if someone else decides to share one of those plants, then we have a special episode, and that's what that bell means. Oh, and I will cool. also talk about corn. Great. Let's compare so, notes then. Indeed, indeed. So my corn, I'm going to let... I haven't done as much research on corn, well, but I have some personal stories about corn I'd like to share with you after you tell me about corn, and then some other fun facts I might know that if we compare notes. So yeah, let's tell me about corn. Let's. This is the corn episode. Great. Um, so after you asked me um, to do an episode, I spent a couple of days thinking, what should I talk about? Because there are so many plants, right, that we could cover. But I thought corn would be a good one because it's I also have a couple of stories from Romania and I thought I could link it with the history of the country as well. So when I started researching um, about the plant, I found a few very interesting things like um, it is actually a grass. Oh, yes. It is from the family and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Poache. Oh, I don't know that one. So it's from, from the same family as rice or wheat. Mm-hmm. And it started basically being cultivated and first domesticated about 10,000 years ago. So it has a history. And as I was reading this, I remembered when, when I was reading Sapiens by Harari, oh, that yeah. it said that the rise of Homo sapiens was about 10,000 years ago. So basically corn has been there all along with us, you know, yeah, through yeah. 
the boom of civiliz civilization. Um, so yeah, it was very interesting. Um, and it, it first appeared in, um, in Mexico, South Mexico and South America being cultivated, but obviously it looked very differently to what it looks now. Um, it was much smaller. It was like grassy, more grassy looking, and it wasn't as tall. Um, yeah, I think maybe just to chime in here, maybe you have this in your notes, but I remember news articles and, uh, a while back. Um, saying that they believe they discovered the predecessor to corn, which is called teosinte. Yeah, I don't have that in my yeah. notes. There we go. <laughs> and teo, it, and, it, and there's pictures of it, and it looks like just I'm, I'm I always talk about this in podcasts, but I'm showing Raluca now with my hands about how big it is, <laughs> even though you can see it. But maybe like a few or few inches tall, and kind of has like yeah. maybe this thing that maybe if you use your imagination, kind of looks like a corn cob at the top, but. Anyway, uh, but you know the the theory was is through through you know selective breeding by mm -hmm. humans over a long period of time that little grass became corn and yeah so and teosinte is still a plant that is like common in those same areas of Mexico uh, where oh. corn developed. Anyway, sorry to oh. interrupt, but I remember that that little factoid. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, another fact about corn and why why I thought it's interesting to cover it. It's because now we see it as a commodity, right? It's in everything. Um, so you have from corn syrup to cornstarch, it's, it's everywhere. So it was interesting to see how did this little grass become from what it was 10,000 years ago to what it is today and what was its impact, um, mm -hmm. on humans and throughout history. So, um, it was interesting to read that actually it was introduced in Europe, I think in the 14th, 15th century. Um, so it's, it's quite new and I discovered two sources. So take this with a grain of salt. I'm not sure which one is the correct one. So one source says that it was Christopher Columbus that introduced it in the 1500s. But then there's another source that says, um, it was actually Hernan Cortes, um, mm -hmm. which was a conquistador mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that, um, again, around the same time that introduced it from Mexico. So interesting. I could, I could believe both because even though corn is originated in Mexico, it was very widespread across all of, you know, the new, the quote unquote new world at the time. Mm -hmm. So even, you know, even though Columbus only went to islands early on, they, I'm, I'm pretty sure they were growing corn there already. Corn was being grown very, very far North in, in North America at that time for many, many years. So might have been even both, you know, independently. Could have been yeah. both. Yeah. 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 Um, and it was interesting that, you know, after it was introduced in Europe, it just boomed. So I found references from a Romanian historian that says um, that Romania, well, the Romanian principalities, it wasn't really Romania back then. Just, just, just to be clear for the audience, Raluca, you are Romanian. Yes, I okay. am Romanian. And that's why I wanted to just coordinate this history to what has happened in my country throughout yeah. the years as well. And I'm super fascinated by this. I'm glad you're talking about this because, you know, I think about corn as this like totally American plant and we have so much corn here and it, yeah. coming from, from, it coming from Mexico and coming from this side of the world. But I don't know very much. I mean, I know it's everywhere in Europe and it's very common. Mm -hmm. And I do have this because I've been to Romania. <laughs> I do know that it is like really important, but knowing that story in Romania, I'm super fascinated to hear. Yeah, so corn has played a big um, 
a big role in the Romanian history, and I will cover this later, how it shaped uh, our gastronomic culture, if you want. Excellent. Um, but yeah, basically after it was introduced in Europe, it just boomed and spread it everywhere. Uh, so we started cultivating it in Romania only 100 years later. So around 1600, 1700s, we started cultivating corn. But what happened uh, is that corn was introduced to Europe, but not of the information traveled with it. So Europe didn't know about the nixtamalization process. I hope I'm pronouncing this that correctly. Indeed. Yes. Would you like to talk about nixtamalization? I might have some thoughts on yes. that as well. Um, so you might know this a little bit more than than me. Uh, this was a recent discovery, so I only heard about it a year ago when I was thinking of making tamales at home. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I discovered this. So it is a process of preparing the corn. Uh, and the corn is soaked and cooked in an alkaline solution um, in order to uh, get rid of... Um, mycotoxins mm -hmm. I think they're called and this is how the Aztecs and the Mayans used to cook it and then eat it but Europeans didn't know about this so they started cooking and eating it without putting it through this this process um, and what happened is that um, they developed um, diseases uh, such as pellagra uh, which can kill you in about four years. Oh, wow. Uh, and you go through malnourishment and you get like, you can even get dementia oh, from wow. eating untreated corn. And this was a widespread problem in Europe back then. You can find a lot of references. It's still an issue now, I think, in Africa. It I was a big issue that, yeah. in, in Italy. There are a couple of historical points touching on Romania, but not as much. Mm -hmm. um, but I did find a map showing where the pelagra spread mostly in, in Romania. Um, yeah, that that's really interesting because, yeah, it's, it's corn has some mycotoxins, which I don't actually know mm -hmm. the definition of mycotoxin. If you do, let, let me know. Otherwise... <laughs> um, Listener, if you're, you can email me and let me know. But I also believe that corn, when you nixtamalize corn, it frees up certain um, vitamins and minerals yes. that aren't uh, available uh, to digest unless it goes through the process. So you can be eating corn but being malnourished because you're not getting those. It, it makes corn a more complete food by yeah. putting it through this process. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, I read that it lacks vitamin B or B3. Oh, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think pellagra, that's a big issue with pellagra, right? It's mm -hmm. not having B3, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because after it was introduced in Romania, because it was easier to grow and Romania has the right climate for it, uh, Romanian peasants thought, why should we grow millet? What was our mm -hmm. traditional food back then? Um, we could just you know, grow corn and it's easier to harvest and you get a bigger harvest and easier to cook. So when when you visited, you might have had mamaliga, uh -huh, which I is have. The, the polenta, the traditional Romanian polenta, which is made with corn now. But back then, it was actually made with millet. Oh, so the same word in Romanian, mamaliga, is with millet? 
And yes. so that root word is is related to millet and not corn. Exactly. Oh, but we cool. kept the same word because we just got rid of millet. And I wasn't even aware that we could eat millet. It was something that I used to feed my parent, parents growing up. Oh, very interesting. Wow. So this was the first impact of corn on our gastronomy and our traditional cuisine. We just got rid of everything else. We also used to cultivate uh, barley and lentils and rye, but those just kind of disappeared throughout the years and we became more like a monoculture, just growing corn. Um, and another interesting thing happened throughout the years uh, with the uh, rise of communism in Eastern Europe and Ceausescu's regime in Romania. Um, so before the regime, Romania used to grow a lot of artichokes and uh, asparagus as well. Okay. Uh-huh. And... And this was part of our traditional gastronomy. And you can find books from the 18th century, you know, with a lot of recipes. Um, But because communism had this plan of industrializing the country and they had like, uh, based on the Soviet plans, the five-year development plan. I don't know if you've ever heard about it. We used to call them Chinchinale. They they also have this, they, they used to have that in, in Russia. So it was a five-year plan of how the country is going to grow, how much production was needed to be made and how much was going to be exported or um, kept in the country. And the communists wanted to, to turn Romania into what they call the granary of Europe. Uh-huh. And they needed Romania to grow a lot of corn. So they took off, scrapped basically artichokes and asparagus from our traditional gastronomy cuisine. And they said that actually these are bourgeois foods. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it wasn't a... um, it wasn't a plant of interest. So artichokes and asparagus were not considered plants of interest. And it's interesting that we forgot about that. So only in, in only 40 years, we lost a lot of this history. And growing up, I did perceive asparagus and artichokes as um, bourgeois food. So that, that still um, sticks around. That is fascinating. Um, Interesting about those two plants, they're also, they're perennial plants, whereas mm -hmm. corn and those other ones are, are, are annual, which perennial plants tend to be, you know, they last a long time, but they don't produce as much volume. And so it's an interesting, like kind of balance of like where the, where the uh, priorities went, right. To replace this. this And print. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And, uh, and they needed the land as well, because the same land that we used to grow artichokes and asparagus in the Southern part of the country was the best land to grow corn. Ah, I see. Um, so just entire fields of artichokes and, and asparagus were just replaced. Probably. I don't yeah. think they were doing monoculture. It was, oh, sure. um, yeah, I'm not sure. It was more, Maybe yeah, yeah. Interesting. Something to look into. Um, and another thing that I discovered that we used to eat, uh, it, and this was really funny, it's actually uh, hop, hops shoots. Oh. So, you know, the hop plant. 
Yeah, in spring, beer. yes. Uh, in spring, when you get those early spring shoots, you can cook them s- the same way you cook broccoli or asparagus. You can just steam them or um, parboil them and you can cook them like that. And this was another traditional thing that Romanians used to eat back then. I have never heard of that, but I am going to try to explore that at some point. I, my, yeah. my mom used to be growing hops, but not anymore. I have to see if I know anyone who's growing hops, or maybe I should grow them myself, because that sounds really fun. It can also be found spontaneously growing in the fields. Oh. Um, so, yeah, we could do an exercise of foraging. <laughs> yeah, well, if next time we're in Romania together, let's go Let's go forage some hops and, and cook some hop shoots. That sounds really cool. Yeah, then. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, my history of, uh, of corn. And if we think about how it took over the world and what's happening today with this crazy monoculture field as far as your eyes can see it's just corn it's actually one of of the biggest causes of soil degradation now pollution of mm-hmm. groundwater um but it's not actually corn's fault if you think about it it's mm-hmm. our fault for creating a system that it is so single focused mm-hmm. and it's not thinking about the ecosystem and the environment in its entirety. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think really hearing that historical context of Romania really, I think you could probably tell that story now in almost every country about corns, um, you know, rise and it comes from this, this just kind of, wrong-headed thinking of how to grow food mm-hmm. and you know we have that extremely here in the u.s i mean corn is in everything yes um you know and and it can be a maligned plant by some people because of that but it is it is an amazing plant if it is like respected properly and treated the way it should um so i guess you know going to my talking about corn i, I can talk about well, let me, let me throw in one little interesting scientific piece that I know about, which you might have come across in your research. But one of the reasons why I think corn became so popular is because mm-hmm. it is a C4 plant, which I don't fully understand the science of this, but most plants are C3 plants, corn and some other plants, but corn is the most popular C4 plant. It is a description of the photosynthesis process. And it means that okay. corn is actually more uh, efficient at photosynthesis than most other food plants. Interesting. I didn't come across that information. Yeah, um, and I've heard about this in a few different places. There, you know, first time I heard about this, it was in was in the book um, "The Omnivore's Dilemma" by Michael Pollan, which is a really mm. interesting book about humans and food. And then I just uh, uh, read this book called "The Wizard and the Prophet," which is about about food and and history in two different. Well, it's about actually a lot of stuff in humanity and kind of two different opposing views of of how to deal with like human progress. But they mentioned that in there, and I've done some research on that. And yeah, I think you know one reason why it became popular is like it it just it just can convert uh, sunlight and CO two into food better. Than, it's than very efficient. Yeah, and also that other thing you mentioned is that um, all the grains like wheat and millet and stuff like that they're kind of a pain to get the food out of them right? Yeah. But corn is super easy. Like you just leave it drying on the stock if you want to make cornmeal. And then yeah. this, the, the kernels just pop off, right? You don't have to do any weird threshing process. It's like, so it's way easier. It's like the easiest grain to, to like manually process. So I think those are two factors. 
And then when you have like industrial society that is trying to just maximize yield, mm-hmm. that's okay. Well, I'd use a plant that's more efficient and is easy to process. And then you see how it just takes over. Um, yes. So, exactly. and it's, you know, and in the U S you know, we, I mean, in that book, the omnivore's dilemma is when I first really internalized this, like how much of what we eat, if you're not careful is actually just corn. So like, you know, our cows eat corn. So if yes. you're eating beef, you're eating corn, <laughs> you know? Uh, I did read that. Uh, I, I didn't put this in my notes, but now that you brought it up, uh, most of the corn in the U.S. is actually grown for livestock. Yeah. So we're growing yeah. corn in order to grow beef, in order to eat beef, which is, yeah. And the other silly. disturbing part of about that that they mentioned, the omnivorous dilemma, is that we fertilize our crops with, um, with you know, man-made fertilizers, which come from this process called the Haber process, which requires lots and lots of energy. So Mm. we burn fossil fuels to create fertilizer that create corn to create beef. So when you're eating a cow, you're essentially eating fossil fuels or like the energy that that cow that made that cow is no longer really this natural process. It's like fossil fuels. So it's like the inefficiency is just mind boggling. But to the positive side of corn, I think, you know, corn is an awesome plant um i've been trying to grow corn now myself for the past three years oh with, interesting <laughs> with very little success <laughs> um it, you know it, the first year i planted five corn plants and only one of them really I only had like one year of corn and that's because i learned then that you know corn is a wind pollinated plant um hmm. and it really isn't that successful unless you have a block of them because if you only have a few, the chances of particles blowing from the wind and landing on, on the... them, yeah. So you kind of need more than just five, and that's why I had that issue. Um, to talk a little bit about the pollination, this is something that blew my mind. I didn't, I didn't know this. The way that corn is pollinated, the silks on the top of a corn, mm-hmm. you know, the corn silk, each one of those is a little tube that pollen will land on, and then the pollen will travel through that tube to a kernel so every silk is attached to a kernel oh wow and 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 for you to have a full ear of corn pollen has to get on every single one of those silks uh, silks and then if you've seen pollinated corn in the field the the silks are more like uh brown and um you know brown at the top but when they Mm -hmm. first pop out they're like clear they almost look like little fiber optic tubes yes yes they do my my parents used to grow corn but same as you not too much like uh-huh. a little garden and what they used to do my mom would plant runner beans at the bottom uh-huh. so the runner bean would grow around the corn so it would be like a bit of permaculture experiment trying to grow two or three different crops that can sustain each other and grow together so i've been trying this too yeah uh, uh, there, there's actually this um concept it's a it's a, a native american concept called a three sisters garden Mm-hmm. that yeah, is corn, that. beans, and squash. So I've been trying to do that these past three years with... The squash does great. I've got so much squash. <laughs> uh, the beans, okay, but the corn, not really great. Um, so so the first year I got like a little bit of corn, but it was like not much. I did try to like dry it and, and, and make like a few tortillas out of it, but it was not very successful. Um, I didn't have a proper way to grind it. So I ended up being kind of a little more in like corn... Uh, mush cakes, but I did nixtamalize it myself, which was that was my my next question for yeah. you. <laughs> did you go through the process? And I did. How, how did you do it? So um, I the it's I'm forgetting the chemical name now. It's sodium. 
sodium or potassium something. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll add a note in the blog or something about what potassium the actual thing Potassium hydroxide? That's the one. Potassium I have hydroxide. it in my notes. Yes. There we go. Potassium hydroxide in, in uh, Spanish, it's called cal, is the way they refer to it. Uh, my, my, my wife is Mexican, by the way, so I have like this fascination with Mexican foods and have been trying to learn more stuff so I can... You, know, give you have meals. more input into yeah. the actual <laughs> tradition, yeah. Yeah, and so I bought some, went to a, a little uh, Mexican market nearby and bought a little bag of cal, which is interesting to buy this like chemical. It's uh, like up with all the rest of the herbs on the wall. <laughs> and then, yeah, you boil it with a cal, uh, with the potassium hydroxide for, for a good while. And you boil it for a while and then you let it cool and then you drain it and then it's nixtamalized. And then the... Um, the original process for making a tortilla is like once it's boiled and drained, the corn is the the, the nixtamalized corn is very soft, right? It's been boiled, and so mm-hmm. then you can just mash it into the masa to make tortillas. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have a great process of mashing it. I also think I didn't nixtamalize it long enough, so it wasn't as squishy as it should have been, and so I couldn't get it as fine. And so I ended up making these little like maybe like three corn cakes, which is a, the maximum that I can <laughs> make with the corn that I harvested. But they were tasty. I was using this corn that's called. Uh, kind of a violent name is called bloody butcher corn which it's a bright red corn kernel oh At, yes i know it. it's uh yeah isn't that used for um popcorn dough there are some used for popcorn we have another one that's for popcorn um so bloody butcher is not a popcorn corn normally popcorns have smaller kernels but we yeah, tried to grow like um taller and sharper like yeah. they have a pointed tip yeah so this one is not that. This one is a variety that is native to my region of the country, which is Northern Virginia and Virginia in general. It's a it's a very old variety that goes back, you know, pre-colonial uh, from what I've read. And it's just really pretty. So I tried to grow that. Um, it was fun, but I, I realized that, oh, I need to plant more corn because five is just not enough to mm. get the good pollination. The next year I planted 15 um, corn plants. And things were going well. They were coming up. The tassels coming out. The tassels where the pollen comes from. And then the pollen gets wind pollinated around. And it was looking good. And then one day I looked outside and there was sparrows. And they were just obliterating the tassels. (laughs) The the, the sparrows just stripped the tassels of every single. um, Oh, no. so, So I had no pollen anymore. So I couldn't nothing got pollinated and the tassels come out earlier than the the silks yeah which is a little bit of an issue another reason why you want to have lots of corn because that timing will be a little bit more the more tassels there are the more chances you have tassels that come out at the same time as as the corn so but by the time that had happened um <laughs> the sparrows had ate it all so i was like okay i started reading about it and the next year i read about well you can you can bag the tassels and then that's also a great way to collect the pollen, but it also protects it from 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 uh, mm-hmm. birds. So I got these specially shaped paper bags that are like for this process of collecting corn pollen. And you like bag the tassel and you put a little um, paper clip on to keep it on. And then you leave that overnight. And then each morning you go out and you kind of tilt the plant over a little bit and you shake it and you get the pollen in the bag. And then you can go manually pollinate. Wow. All. So I was doing that. That, that requires a lot of dedication. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I really want to get this corn. So I was doing that. And it was really a really fun process to like, okay, this one's got the tassels. I'm maximizing that. Okay, here's the one with the silk coming out, you know, dust the pollen mm-hmm. over the silks and seeing that the silks were being pollinated. And it was really exciting. And then a woodchuck destroyed all the corn. 
A what? Sorry. A woodchuck. Oh, sorry. A woodchuck is a, a groundhog or a marmot. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, a woodchuck is the is a. Uh, yeah, you know how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? <laughs> Do you know that? Uh, that old. No. Uh, it's a. That's like a. You know, an, I guess an American. Uh, like you know, children's poem that says how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. Um, <laughs> that, but apparently, the name woodchuck has nothing to well. On Wikipedia, I was looking up woodchuck because they're also called groundhogs in Europe. They're mm-hmm. called marmots. What's the word in Romanian for woodchuck? Or Marmota. Mar- Marmota. Marmota. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So they're in the same family. Um, uh, but I was looking up this word woodchuck because, like, what does that mean? And in the Wikipedia page, I think I have it memorized exactly because I thought it was so funny. It's like woodchucks have nothing to do with wood nor chucking. <laughs> and apparently it's 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 like a mispronunciation of some indigenous word uh here is woodchuck but they don't they don't chew on wood they don't do they don't throw anything <laughs> they, they they just eat. go for corn they when they have corn. the chance <laughs> yeah. so he he's uh uh he's kind of a little fixture in our yard and and uh he he was coming out every day and most of the time he was fine but yeah i have to figure out some way to keep him away from the corn next year because he just he decimated it and he ended up knocking down a lot of it to get at the corn and then squirrels came and got the rest of it. And so I have like a picture of like a squirrel on a fence with like a whole ear of corn. I'm like, oh, oh that's cute though. Yeah, I know. I so, mean, you can't be mad. I know. I know. So next year I need to like put up a fence or something or figure out some way to keep the woodchuck from eating my corn. But I, I'm determined to grow enough corn to like make some real tortillas. That is my goal. Um, but so far, I have uh, I have not been successful. But it's it's a fun uh, activity, and it's really fun to watch corn grow. I mean, you I guess you saw it when you were a kid, but mm-hmm. this is the first time I've really done that, and it's a it's amazing. It grows so big, and like, and uh, the way the roots are, like they like kind of form this like little yeah. miniature umbrella that you can kind of see, mm-hmm. see sticking up from the ground, and uh, and yeah, the see the see something that you planted grow like ten feet tall is is really cool. So, um. But yeah, that's that's been my my goal is to grow corn, um, and and kind of like experience corn the way it should be, and kind of like not this ridiculous monoculture that's just going to like Great. make corn syrup for sodas, but <laughs> like make something good out of it. And yeah, I want to nixtamalize it uh, so I can do either tortillas, which I've been really into making tortillas lately. I've been buying the masa and making tortillas. I I actually don't buy corn tortillas anymore because. It's actually oh, really we, easy. we've discovered this um, Mexican grocery shop nearby, and you can also buy the masa. But I, yeah, I I didn't feel you know adventurous enough to to try it from scratch. But they do have amazing corn tortillas, yeah. Uh, and yeah, we we go there every now and then and just get the tamales, the tortillas, yeah. and all that. Try, try and, making corn tortillas sometime because. It's a little intimidating for some reason, but the only, it's just water and masa. That's all. But you need that special press, right? You can do it by hand. That's also a little trickier. If you Google, if you mm. Google YouTube, you can find videos of, uh, of abuelitas in Mexico like making it by <laughs> hand. And I tried that for a while. I was doing that for a while. You can't really get them. As, I've never – some of those uh, abuelitas, you know, they really know how to make real thin tortillas just by hand. And they have this process where they're kind of like, look, they're clapping. I'm doing yeah, it on the yeah, camera yeah. right now. Um, <laughs> And I tried that for a while, and I got okay at it, but never got perfect. But I was doing that for a while, and they make nice ones. It's just harder to – they're more like for tostadas. You can't really, like, mm-hmm. fold them as well. But then I did get the press, which that makes it a lot easier. Um, but the the main trick, at least to me, of making tortillas is, um, is just getting the consistency right. 
and knowing how to correct for that and knowing what the right consistency feels like. And then you also need to like, a lot of the recipes don't tell you to like knead it as much, um, you, but you do kind of need to knead it and also maybe let it set a little bit longer because you need the water to like really. Probably same as with bread. They never tell you in the recipe actually <laughs> how much time and how much uh-huh. work you need to put into getting a, a nice sourdough loaf. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's not, the process is not like with bread where you're trying to get those glutens broken down because there's not really much gluten at all. There's no gluten at all. Yeah. But you need the water to fully like, saturate those small little particles Mm. so it will be stay sticky that's how it how it does that so my first time making it i just did it really quickly and then they just crumbled apart but now you know i've got the hang of it and i I make them i make them pretty regularly and and now i'm at the process where it's like i never thought about doing this before it's like oh i'm making dinner i can just make a few tortillas just for this dinner and it's super quick i don't need to make a whole stack of them just make them, and you can make them while you're doing other stuff. And so, try it. I'd, I'd like, I'd, I'd like cool. to see your, your <laughs> test of that. Um, I will. I'll yeah, put it in my notes. One, one last note before we wrap up. I guess I wrote this down. Um, the word nixtamalization is a really interesting scientific word because its root is from a indigenous word from from the area of Mexico. It's, I believe, it's a Nahuatl word. But there's a nixtamal is is a is a is an indigenous word. But it, the process is this where tamales come from? Comes from tamale. I'm not quite sure if that is a Spanish word originally. But nixtamal. Well, mm-hmm. that's an interesting. Yeah, maybe you're right because tamal. It probably is. Yeah, yeah, probably. I, probably. I guess. But it's interesting to have this scientific process. It's one of the few cases where we like give credit to the actual inventors of like an indigenous thing where that word nixtamalization comes from this uh, native word. So I, I thought that's pretty cool. And, you know, as I was reading, I was wondering, how did they know? How could they have known the, to, the, to, to go through the process? And The theory I've read is that uh, when you're cooking corn in a stone pot, that is a kind of stone that is high in that potassium hydroxide or some other hydroxide, just the process of using the pot will nixtamalize the corn. Oh, yes. And it's the lime limestone. Lime. Yeah. Because it, it creates that lime water, which is yeah. alkaline. Oh, yeah. that's... And then later, the process was developed and, and discovered that you can also do it with wood ash. Um, mm. So you can... you Because you get a similar uh, chemical there. Um, and so actually, the masa I've been buying lately, I found this guy uh, um, online who does like traditionally processed with wood ash masa so like it's like pretty cool but yeah so i'm not sure how that process was discovered but um yeah it's it's super interesting that this food which is so abundant but you really do need to process it to get the most out of Mm -hmm. it and yeah if it's you know we eat a lot of fresh corn here in the united states i mean i think mama liga is not nixtamalized no it's not but as long as you it's not the only thing you're eating you're going to yeah. be okay. But it, there's a lot of places in the world where corn just becomes such a staple that that's the only thing people are eating. And then you basically are, are starving yourself. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, really interesting. Uh, do you have any, any other fun facts about corn? Um, hmm. I mean, maybe nope. we can, maybe, maybe, um, can you remember like some of your first like memories of corn or like when did you first like, understand corn oh it's a good question i grew up with corn 
um, I grew up eating mamaliga and having my mom plant corn in in our little garden. So it was it was a staple. I as a kid, I didn't even consider that corn is not you know an indigenous plant to Romania. <laughs> Huh. Or you know, you take corn for granted, and you think it's been there forever, and you don't actually realize the history and the complexity um, behind it. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, I, I I think that wraps it up. I guess. Great. Awesome. Unless you have more notes, and no, I think I think that's it. That's cool. Well, thank you for talking to me about corn. Great. It's been uh, it's been great. Thank you. Corn for the chicken, corn for the deer, corn for as far as you can see around here from the Ohio River to the Northern Platte. Every highway, byway, hey, look at all that corn. This is a little song by Blake Shelton entitled You guessed it, Corn. Well, that was really fun, talking with Raluca about corn. However, there's one thing we neglected to talk about, and that's that name corn. Where does the word corn come from? Well, many of you might be aware that corn is also in English sometimes called maize, and that comes from the word maíz in Spanish, which in turn comes from uh, a Taino word, which is one of the indigenous peoples of the Caribbean. Uh, we also mentioned the word nixtamalization, which nixtamal is a... Nahuatl word, and, and from my understanding, the Nahuatl word for corn is elote. So, where did the word corn come from? You know, it doesn't sound like maíz, it doesn't sound like elote. Well, it turns out corn is just an old English word for any grain, so, or kernel. So, uh, wheat has corns, barley has corns, millet has corns. And so, uh, English-speaking people in this continent just started referring to corn as corn because it was the predominant grain in the area. So that's corn. I also did forget to ask Raluca how you say corn in Romanian. So I asked her to send me a little voice memo. Here it is. How do we say corn in Romanian? We call it porumb. And I looked it up because it spiked my interest. And I just wanted to know if there is a connection between porumb, the plant, corn, and the Romanian porumbel, which is dove. And it seems there is. Um, the etymology of the world word comes from Latin, the Latin palumbus, which does mean wood pigeon or ring dove. And it seems it was not only adopted in Romania, it was also adopted in neighboring countries, Bulgaria, which is very interesting. I I couldn't find why um, there was this connection between the animal and the plant, but what Wikipedia tells us is that it was probably due to the similarity in appearance between the corn cob and the bird. So that's pretty interesting. Corn is uh, is related to the word for dove. Uh, I guess the uh, you know. Uh, you know, Romanians of the 1600s had a better imagination than me. But I guess you can get it if you, like, peel down the husk a bit and maybe the cob kind of looks like a bird with wings, maybe. Um, however, I was surprised. I was telling my wife, Carla, about this, about the word porumb being related to the word for dove. And she revealed to me something I didn't know, that the word for popcorn, at least in Mexico, is palomitas, which means little doves. 
And I did some research. I couldn't quite find why that was the case either. So there's this strange um, connection between doves and corn, apparently. Um, so I also asked Raluca to send me a voice memo about the word for popcorn in Romanian. And here it is. Um, how do we say popcorn in Romanian? Um, it's popcorn. <laughs> Actually, growing up, uh, my parents used to call it uh, floricele. And also they, in the 90s um, in Romania, they used to be called floricele, which means little flowers. Uh, it's because of the way they pop. But I think lately with the introduction of the microwave popcorn um, and you know, younger generations speaking more and more English, we've just adapted the, the term and we just call them popcorn now. And before we wrap up the show today, I wanted to play a little bit more of that song, Corn, because it's quite a song about corn. And it's interesting because it, it's a song that's like celebrating corn, but also if you like look at it from some of the perspective that we were talking about in the show, it kind of is talking about that monoculture corn system we have in the united states so it's it's you know you could say it in two ways you could be like man look at all that corn or you could be like man look at all that corn so anyway here's here's the ending of that song which i think ends quite well My guest on today's episode of Rootbound was Raluca Veshchimanu. Raluca is an activist and gardener and forager and someone who I can always rely on to talk about sourdough with. Rootbound is hosted by me, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but... If you can go outside, maybe head out to the local farmer's market and pick up some artichokes or asparagus or any other bourgeois vegetables you might find. Rubisco. It's not cereal!